Totally. And I mean, I think when you're a growing company, you always need more money than you think. Yeah. You do. And it's, it's no one has a crystal ball. So I got all kinds of advice from all kinds of people like raise more, raise less, you know, this is a good amount. This is yeah. gonna last a long time. It's not going to last you for any amount of whatever. So I think like you kind of have to just go with what you make the decision to, to do. And then, you know, every plan kind of changes the second that you make it. Welcome to The Irresistible Factor, a podcast where I talk to founders and investors and retailers about what it takes to launch successful brands, from developing a compelling proposition and brand identity, to raising capital, to getting distribution, and more. My name is Christy Bridges, and I'm a marketing expert with tons of experience and a true love for all things health and wellness. Welcome to today's episode of The Irresistible Factor. I'm really excited to have a guest from Canada today. I'm interviewing Margaret Coons, who is the founder and CEO of Nuts for Cheese. So welcome to the podcast, Margaret. I'm really happy to have my uh, listeners hear from you today. Thanks so much, Christy. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you. I want. To, I have so many questions for you, but I, I first need you to talk about Nuts for Cheese. So talk about the brand, what it is, and then I'd love to hear about the name. Absolutely. So yeah, my uh, my company started in 2015. So I actually founded Nuts for Cheese at a farmer's market uh, here in London, Ontario, where we're based. And so I was working as a chef at a, a vegan restaurant uh, in town and started there during my undergrad and kind of worked my way up through the ranks of the restaurant and, you know, had a real passion for food. I've been vegetarian since I was 12 and vegan since I was about 19. And so I really wanted to continue to work in the food industry. And I was making these vegan cheeses for the restaurant out of uh, cashew milk. And I was doing a lot of fermentation at the time and experimenting with different recipes and, and flavors. And I, I thought I would try a farmer's market for the summer. This was back in, in 2015 and just really took off from there. So it's been just over eight years now and grown the business primarily into uh, retailers across Canada and the US. But we've also launched a few new product lines and nuts for butter, which is cashew and coconut based butter. And then we also just launched our nuts for cream cheese products as well. Awesome. That's amazing. Talk about going from farmer's market to brand that you have to figure out how to get distribution on. Like that's a big, it sounds, I mean, I've heard it happen, but it's, it, I know it's much harder than it sounds. So we were a farmer's market brand. Now we're a retail brand. It's not the same. No, it's not. And I mean, it was an interesting journey for me because I was 24 when I started the company. It was my first kind of like real job, I would say, you know, outside of the restaurant industry. I'd, I'd worked in the restaurant industry for every job I'd ever had. And I was an English major, so I didn't have a business background at all. And I was really just kind of figuring it out as I as I went along. And it was really scrappy and, and really grassroots. And I mean, in a lot of ways, it still is, but particularly in the first number of years. And when I first started, I was renting the restaurant kitchen actually in the middle of the night to, to make these products. So I would cook dinner at the restaurant. I would go home, get my bag of cashews, and my vacuum sealer. I'd bring everything back to the restaurant and work there until about four in the morning. And sometimes I have a friend helping me, uh, you know, wrap cheese and saran wrap and put stickers on it for the farmer's market. And you know, it was a lot of kind of figuring things out as we went in terms of, you know, hopping on the government website to learn about food regulations on product labels and, you know, things like that. And I was in the early days, you know, driving to Toronto, Ontario, which is about two hours from, from where we are, a couple times a week with coolers, filling my Toyota Corolla and delivering by hand product to our, you know, 15 independent natural food stores that had agreed to carry us. And, so it was a lot of, you know, really building like that, like store by store, kind of brick by brick. And then 
eventually starting to figure out different distribution methods when we kind of hit more of a, a critical mass. So what, this is an interesting um, thing that you just said, which I think is true for a lot of entrepreneurs, but I want to know if you could even know what it is. So that you said this is sort of your first job outside of working in a restaurant. Like what makes someone say, I'm going to start a brand instead of I'm going to go work for a brand or I'm going to go, what makes you do, because that's a big deal, right? To do that with no experience, not having any, you didn't work for a brand, you didn't work in a store, you didn't work at retail. What make, makes that happen where you're just like, I'm just going to do this instead of all the million jobs I could have potentially done? You know, I, I always kind of like to say that it was like a really happy accident. Like, I don't think I knew what I was getting into. And I'm kind of glad I didn't because yeah. It's been an amazing journey, but it's absolutely been a really challenging one as well. And I think you can easily get scared if you know too much when you're yeah. Uh, yeah. when you're started. And so I was kind of just putting one foot in front of another at the time. And I didn't have a business plan when I started. I didn't really envision that it was going to turn into a brand or you know end up where we are today at all. I didn't imagine that I was going to have a large team or you know a manufacturing facility that you know, I have to manage all this equipment for and inventory and, and things like that. So really it was, uh, I think it's a personality trait where I've always kind of thrown myself 150% into to whatever I'm doing. And I think I had a, you know, entrepreneurial spirit about me. I was, you know, teaching yoga from a young age. I was, you know, I, I didn't have a, a culinary background when I started at the the restaurant either, other than working in restaurants, I ended up taking a, a culinary course after my undergrad. But even that, it was kind of just following the passion and, and following what was exciting at the time. So you have retail distribution now. How much retail distribution? What's your goal? So we're in about 4,000 stores across North America right now, just over 2,000 in Canada and about 2,000 in the U.S. Wow. It's been, you know, really exciting to to grow the business through these amazing retail partners. And, you know, in Canada, it really did start with the independent health food channel. And it was really me, you know, looking up a region and calling every health food store in the city and asking if they'd let me come by and bring them some samples. And, you know, event. at the time, it was a very niche uh, category that was really, you know, it's become a lot more developed. It's still a very new category that is still developing, but wasn't a lot of artisanal vegan cheese on the market, especially in Canada at the time. And so a lot of people were, you know, I, I think, you know, taking a chance on me and willing to, to yeah, give yeah. A try wasn't a huge risk for them. And so we had a lot of success getting into those early retailers. And then we started to have some larger retailers uh, come calling because there was a demand for this type of product, but it wasn't widely available. And so we scaled into almost every major retailer in Canada outside of, you know, the Walmart and the club channel. We're not, we're not quite there yet, but, and then the U S launch, we actually started selling in the U S kind of right at the start of COVID. <laughs> and so we, number of us from my team, about five of us had flown down to LA for Expo West in 2020, the show that was, yeah. and I was also there waiting for the show to be canceled. <laughs> it was like as soon as we were on the plane and I was seeing people around us, you know, checking their phones and being like, oh, you know, Whole Foods isn't coming anymore. Trader Joe's has dropped out, whatever. And we landed and the show had officially been canceled. But we spent that week, you know, I posted on LinkedIn, you know, who's in LA and wants to meet us. We're, we're here for a week. We're willing to, you know, kind of go anywhere, meet anyone. We really want to, you know, build our relationships and, and grow some connections here. And we ended up meeting our first U.S. retail partner called Best Use Vegan Paradise, which is this amazing store in Hollywood. And we were shipping directly to L.A. to, you know, service this one retailer. 
And we kind of similar approach to Canada started with a few really strategic, amazing, you know, aligned partners, and then started building the distribution from there started with a couple of regional distributors and one in the East and one in the West, and then opened up kind of one by one, every unifying Kate heat warehouse in the country. So we're in primarily natural channel stores now, but you know, Sprouts is our biggest customer by doors. And we're in a number of Whole Foods regions, as well as a lot of independent chains. That's awesome. So you were you were sort of probably not even consciously rattling off all the jobs that you had to learn to do at the beginning. So you had to learn manufacturing. You had to learn about food safety. You had to be a salesperson, a CEO, marketing, right? That's a lot of jobs to do, especially when you didn't have any idea what was going to happen. So that's that's incredible. Are you at the point now where you've been able to hire people and have a team that works with you? Yeah, I think, you know, it's as a founder, solo founder and, you know, an entrepreneur, I think it's really hard to keep my nose out of just about anything, but mm-hmm. I, I think especially because I, I care so much and it's been so exciting for me to learn all these different roles over the years. But I, I will say I've been very fortunate to build an incredible team and have, you know, awesome people around me that I really completely trust to do an awesome job at their their function. And it, it's taken us a long time to get here, especially when you're, you know, you're small and you're scrappy and you're growing a, a many manufacturing company without funding. It's uh, sometimes it's hard to to make sure that you've got the right people in the right roles and that you've got the, the support that you need. But uh, we have a really amazing team now. And I, I have four really incredible senior leaders that support, you know, the functions that I was doing up until a year ago. And they've wow. built really incredible teams that work with them as well. So when you think about your journey, what have been the biggest challenges that you've sort of faced and that you maybe weren't expecting or even what you're what what is it now because now you've got sort of critical mass and you're in a lot of places but you must still feel the pressure to get to whatever's next so what what are the challenges I think our biggest challenge in the earlier years, you know, as I, I mentioned, we really were kind of growing in a in a grassroots way. We're growing very quickly. You know, we had about 50% year over year growth every year since we we started the company, but we had no funding. And so I actually didn't raise any financing until year seven. And wow. you know, uh you know, challenging to, you know, purchase equipment and, and build a team. And so we had some how did you manage all of that? We were you know, lucky to receive a number of grants in the early days. I think okay. everything we did was really, really handcrafted. You know, we didn't have a lot of efficiency opportunities. It was a lot of hard work, a lot of, you know, sweat equity on a lot of those, you know, early team members that, you know, kind of just did what had to be done to to make it happen. And was able to get a few small bank loans in the early days as well, because we were, you know, we were profitable and we were investing everything that we earned back into the business. So that was, you know, our primary strategy, but we did really hit a point uh, where we couldn't do it anymore, where we were starting to get into these larger customers. We didn't have the resources we need needed to, you know, secure equipment or build up the team appropriately or, you know, fund any kind of marketing and sales activities. And so I think that that was really challenging. Um, you know, every time a piece of equipment went down in, in the early years, it was challenging because you'd want to figure out how to fix it yourself because you don't want to hire a, a maintenance person to to come in, like all of those little things that, that come with being a manufacturer. And, you know, I think a challenge that's been a challenge of ours since the beginning and still is today is 
consumer awareness and, uh, you know, building awareness around a new category because there's a lot of education that's required. Like number one, like what is vegan cheese and and vegan butter or dairy-free products? Why, why do we need them? Why do we care? And then what sets us apart from other dairy-free products as well? Because there's now a lot more, you know, shreds and slices and, you know, kind of more mainstream consumer products in the dairy-free space on the market. But we really have focused a lot on the quality of our product and and being the, you know, the premium version of the types of products in the category. And so there's a consumer education piece around that, that with a limited marketing budget, we've, we've had to be really creative and, and scrappy. I'm sure. I want to go back to the capital raise because I want to ask you some details around that. But first, I want to talk about the category. So I think I'm imagining part of the challenges at the beginning when vegan cheeses came out as a thing for mainstream, they weren't very good. And they didn't taste like cheese. Right. (laughs) And so there was a perception. I mean, even for me, my, even my, not this expo, but the one before it, I was sort of like, is there going to be a good vegan cheese? Because I thought that a lot of them didn't taste like cheese. And now they're starting to really get developed and innovation has been amazing around in the category. But has that been an issue for you trying to sort of overcome the, never mind the awareness, what is vegan cheese, but then the vegan cheese doesn't taste like cheese. Absolutely. And I I think, you know, it was kind of like a two-step thing in the early days. I'd find at the farmer's market, people would say, oh, like vegan cheese, I don't have to have that. I'm not vegan, lactose intolerance, whatever. And then now it's like, oh, I tried vegan cheese and it's gross. I don't want it. (laughs) So so it it is challenging because there are, you know, a lot of really big companies that are trying to come out with a dairy-free alternative because they know that the, the market demand is there and that people need these types of products, but they're not necessarily good tasting yeah. or have good ingredients in them. And so, you know, we are trying to think about, you know, how do we, how do we demonstrate to people that like, yes, you know, maybe you had some vegan cheese or had not a great experience, but we're the one you should have tried first. So, you know, give yeah. it natural, we're organic, we're fermented, and it actually tastes good and tastes like cheese. So it it is kind of bringing people back to a category that they either haven't heard of, or maybe haven't had an amazing experience with. Yeah, that's tough. I mean, it's harder in some ways than just launching something brand new that people don't know yet, because you've got the people that don't know, and then you've got the people who know and already said no. So I think that's a really interesting challenge from a marketing perspective. How are you dealing with that? Like, what is, what are you doing to get people educated and excited about the category and and your brand specifically? For us specifically, I think the biggest thing is that when people taste it, they they love it and they buy it. And, you know, we are a premium product with a premium price point. And so it really is that barrier to getting consumers to, to give the product a try. And then we do end up, you know, with diehard fans that love the product and are committed to our brand specifically. So we do a lot of demos at our retail partners to, you know, educate people in the store, show them where they can buy it, give them a coupon, let them taste the product. Yeah. And those are really successful for us. That, and we do, you know, a number of consumer shows. We do a number of trade shows as well to really just get the the product into as many people's mouths as possible. And and then we do a lot, you know, working with other brands and and partners on social media to get people to, you know, think about how to use the products creatively and use them in recipes and really kind of have that like. Uh, you know, culinary appeal to to showing that, you know, it's it's a great product for a cheese board, but you can also cook with it and you can have these like amazing experiences, but just dairy-free that people might think that they have to miss out on if they don't consume dairy products. Yeah. I want to go back to capital raising. So what year did you raise? Last year? Yeah, 2022, we closed our Series A. And how, how was that process for you? Because I think that it's changed so dramatically. Even since then, I think it's changed dramatically. So talk about the process because I've heard... A couple of different things that I want to explore with you. One is right now, capital's 
almost impossible to raise. Very opposite of how it was pre-COVID and even a little bit, little bit post-COVID. And then the other question is raising capital as a woman founder. I think that's been challenging for a lot of the women that I've spoken to. So I want to hear about both of those things. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's ever an easy thing to do to raise capital, no matter who you are. And I think it's it's also really it's a lot about storytelling and making sure that you can find aligned partners that really believe in like it's a marketing exercise, like for not only for yourself to kind of validate your business plan and your growth strategy by being able to tell the story and really believe in it, but then get other people to to join you in that in that vision and and believe in it with you and. I feel very fortunate that we found very, you know, aligned and, and great partners to to work with. But it was my first time going through a process like that. I'd, wow. you know, never pitched to investors before. I'd never r- raised any capital, and so we ended up pitching to about eight groups, eight or nine groups. The process took about six months. So we had a number of conversations with a number of partners that seemed like a good fit for us from a you know value standpoint, and people that were you know aligned in terms of their other investments in their portfolio portfolio. And we ended up moving forward with a Canadian group named Forge Capital based in Calgary. And they were our, our lead investor. We closed the round of five and a half million in June of last year. And then, wow. you know, it's, uh, it's it's been really incredible because it's allowed us to really build out the team and then yes. at our facility, uh, you know, achieve, you know, some significant quality certifications for our plant that required some investment and, you know, really put some money towards driving that, you know, consumer awareness piece through our marketing efforts. So, you know, I think the experience I had, it was absolutely, you know, a a full-time job for the period of time that the raise was happening. And I feel very fortunate in my experience because I do know it's not the experience that a lot of people are having right now or or ever have. And, you know, I think particularly for for women or minority or diverse founders of, of any type, it's not only a challenge to be raising money, but it's a challenge to be in business at all and to be, you know, having people take a chance on you for, you know, whatever whatever it is, whether it's trying the product, you know, and getting the the retail placement, whether it's, uh, you know, raising money or, or anything, I think there's, there's unique experiences that that people have and, you know, finding aligned partners is, is not an easy thing to do, but I think it's absolutely critical. Yes, definitely. And so I have a question for you. When you were vetting investors and partners, were you also saying no this like were you like any I'll talk to everyone or were you like no I need to only talk to the right people or did you sort of open yourself up and then decide who the right people were you know we've had a lot of people come at us over the years a lot of those people were not the right people and it became very clear very early on I feel very fortunate that I've been, you know, surrounded by very great advisors throughout my journey. And so I have one advisor who I've been, you know, working with, he's on our board now, but he's been probably my, you know, my primary mentor since year two. So he's been with me along this journey of, you know, different VC groups and investors coming at us and people wanting to, you know, acquire the company or acquire most of it and have me be an employee or, you know, whatever the different structure may be. And it was, you know, conversations that we had with a number of these groups. And then I was able to kind of bounce that back off of someone who had more experience and had been there before and said, this isn't, this isn't something that's good for you. And when it came time to actually raise our our series A, I found another mentor who I'd known for some time, who is actually the chair of our board now, who really helped me through the process and acted as an advisor to our raise. And so the groups that we pitched to were groups that, you know, kind of had been vetted and uh, he had good experiences with and had good reputation in the in the natural foods industry. So it, it wasn't really a, a super wide pool that we, we pitched to initially. It was uh, really kind of a 
the people that seemed like the best fit for this specific type of product and, and industry. And you raised a fair amount of money, right? That's a good raise. How have you felt about it? Is it, do you, did you wish you raised more? Like every time someone raises money, we, we help someone raise a $10 million investment. We helped a brand with, which was amazing. And it felt like so much money, but then it wasn't. <laughs> and it was shocking the way. Totally. And I mean, I think when you're a growing company, you always need more money than you think yeah. you do. And it's, it's no one has a crystal ball. So I got all kinds of advice from all kinds of people like raise more, raise less. You know, this is a good amount. This is yeah. going to last a long time. It's not going to last you for any amount of whatever. So I think like you kind of have to just go with what you make the decision to to do. And then, you know, every plan kind of changes the second that you make it. And, yeah. you know, I think for us, it was cash flow was a huge huge stressor for me for a long time of, you know, not having that uh, financial backing and, you know, trying to pay suppliers and get a paycheck in from a distributor and make payroll. And like, that was really top of mind for me for a, a long, long time. And I won't say that that goes away, whether you have money in the bank or not. I think that you kind of become really accustomed to that almost yes. like a fear cycle of, yes. uh, of scarcity. And so I think it, it gave me an opportunity to have more of like a exercise of abundance and think about like where we can now support the business. And I think it's a completely different business now than it was a year ago because we have different structures in place. Our SG&A looks different. Our team looks different. And and now it's it's not, you know, kind of payroll to payroll, but it's how do we support this foundation that we've built and and how do we, you know, make the organization really fit the the structure that we've created that we think is kind of ideal to build the business. That's awesome. You're obviously a very positive person. You've almost not stopped smiling the whole time. <laughs> I'm wondering if there were moments over your journey where you were just like, no, I cannot do this anymore. Or did you always feel like, okay, I'm just going to find the way. And I've like, did you have those moments? And if you did, how did you sort of get yourself past them? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's interesting. I do smile a lot and I get that feedback all the time. Like I was at an event just the other week and someone came up to me after a couple hours in this room and he said, you've not stopped smiling the entire time. And so I, I think I'm certainly a very positive leaning person. And I think to some degree, like you, you have to be to go through this process and, and not kind of lose your mind, but absolutely it's, it's challenging. And I think there's been lots of periods throughout the eight years that I've been doing this. And I'm like, I don't know if this is working, you know, it's, we've had a lot of good fortune. We've had a lot of great success, but at the same time, it's like, is it, it for an entrepreneur, it's like, nothing's ever happening fast enough and nothing's yeah, ever yeah. enough, right? So I, I think it's really yeah. easy to, to look around and compare it to, you know, other things that you see, other brands, whether they're they're doing great or or not so much. And for me, I think it's been an exercise around like not trying to compare myself to feel better by looking at, you know, someone who's maybe not having the same experience or not trying to make myself feel really, you know, envious or stressed that I'm not where another brand is and trying to keep that that even keel. But I have full roster of, you know, self-care practices that help me kind of maintain that that steadiness. But, you know, I think like any founder for sure, I think every every few weeks or every few days you're kind of like riding the high. And then the next day you're like, oh well, that was fun. <laughs> So it's all over. And then the next day you feel great again. And so that's wild, isn't it? It's a lot wild. of it. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Interesting. What's next for you guys? Like, where do you want to be in five years? What's the goal for the brand? 
I think for the next five years, you know, the US market is still new to us. So we're two and a half years into our launch there. I think it would be, you know, really incredible to continue to grow our, our distribution in both Canada and the US and look at some of those larger conventional retailers as the as the category develops. Like, are we going to be ready for a more mainstream retailer? And at what point does the, the market support that expansion? You know, we're we're ready from a manufacturing standpoint to really grow the business at this point. We've put a lot of resources and investment into our plant and into our team. And so we're, you know, from, from a growth standpoint, I'm, I'm excited to find out where kind of those next levels of volume kind of unlock. And yeah. for me, you know, have a background as a chef, I, I love product innovation. And so yesterday I was in the facility, for example, doing R&D on some potential future flavors. And that's really, really fun for me. So I think, you know, continuing to build our line of products and expand into new dairy-free categories and, and try new things out is going to be really fun and exciting. And I think we've got a lot of room to grow in both Canada and the U.S. over, over the next number of years. What's your biggest selling product? Like what's your most popular product? Our unbelievable cashew cheese wedge is our best-selling product in both Canada and the U.S. It's our top seller. So it's like a creamy coconut cashew-based brie, and it is awesome. It work, can work in both savory and sweet applications. So you can like bake it in a puff pastry with wow. some jam, or you can, you know, I use it in like Caesar salad dressing or pasta sauce, or even just, you know, on a cheese board. Mm-hmm. It's really kind of mild and creamy and versatile. And when you talk about the readiness like Mm -hmm. is mainstream gonna happen do you think for vegan cheese like you know there's been so much there have been a lot of ups and downs with vegan things right because of the beyond burgers and all that stuff like there was there were all those giant ipos and then the kind of fell apart a little bit and the demand wasn't there because the products weren't high quality or for whatever reason or or people couldn't afford them how do you feel about where things are going yeah i think that as a consumer of, you know, plant-based and, and dairy-free products myself for a long time, I tend to gravitate towards products that have, you know, real food ingredients and yeah. are you know, premium end of the category. That's not to say that I don't love vegan nuggets. I feel like that's what I exclusively eat at trade shows. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, there is no shortage of them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's amazing to have those options, but I think for, you know, the more mainstream consumer, particularly in the dairy-free space, like people can can choose to eat, you know, a meat product or a vegan meat product. And that's, you know, really kind of dependent on different lifestyle choices. And for dairy-free consumers, a lot of people have an allergy. And so I think that they genuinely do need a, a great option that that makes them feel good. And that's been a yeah. huge motivation for us is that like, we want to not only give people an option because they have to eat something that's dairy-free, but they want to have something that actually gives them the experience of, of dairy-free cheese. So I do think it's going to continue to to grow and evolve and, you know, fall apart and rebuild and and all these things over the years. But for us, I think our kind of focus is really around keeping the quality really high, keeping the ingredients super clean and super premium. And then, you know, having fermented products that make people feel great so that if you eat an entire wedge of our cheese versus an entire wedge of dairy cheese, you're not going to have giant stomach ache. It's actually going to be something that's, that's good for you. And I don't know. I think that's the kind of consumer I am. So I, you know, hope that that is what, you know, continues to develop the marketplace. Yeah, that's awesome. Any advice is what I love to ask at, at when I'm getting ready to wrap up. What advice do you have for someone who's either just starting or who's starting and struggling? Because I think right now, this is a really interesting, and I don't know if it's good or bad, maybe it's both, moment for founders, because there was a 
you know, let's just say three years pre-COVID, everyone was writing checks. It wasn't that challenging to get funded. You didn't have to be profitable. You didn't have to worry about your cost of goods. There was so much money floating around. And that now I feel like it's the pendulum has swung all the way the other way. So there are a lot of people who are like, should I do this? Is this the right time? What would you tell them? You know, I think it's hard no matter what the timing is, whether you have a lot of funding behind you or not. I think there's an opportunity for an exercise right now for a lot of founders to figure out how that they can be sustainable on their own, whether or not the funding is going to come through. And I think that that is, you know, in my experience, that's important, but that's also because that's been my journey. Like I, yeah, yeah. Because you started out self-funded and you did it for a long time. Did it for a long time. And I think that that allowed me to really learn a lot about keeping things super tight and, and lean. Yeah. And we're in a different position now where, you know, the infrastructure is a lot bigger now and our, our situation is different, but I'm glad I had that experience because it taught me how to be really disciplined and it yes. was very stressful, but it allowed me to kind of learn those skill sets. I think my biggest piece of advice is that it's really important to be nice to yourself throughout the journey because it's really easy to you know, if, if something doesn't feel like it's working, feel like it's you. And, you know, there's just a lot of things that are out of your control that are at play all the time. And I think to keep it sustainable and, and keep getting up every day and, you know, fighting an uphill battle towards whatever brand you're trying to build is, it's important to kind of like be able to continue to come back to yourself and take care of yourself throughout the journey. Because I think that's the one thing I hear the most from founders that have exited or, you know, started doing something different with their lives outside of their businesses. I wish I took better care of myself through the journey. And yeah. that's something that I'm still in the journey, but I feel like that when I think about the early years, since so I'm trying to do more of that now. That's awesome. And when you, you talked a little bit, I want to just touch on one more thing, because I think it's interesting. You have raised capital, you started to do some marketing. What's the thing that's working the best for you guys? Because there's so much talk about how Facebook and Instagram aren't working the way they used to. And the analytics kind of have gotten really bad and TikTok is better. And now there's you know, there are 7 million platforms and email and blah, blah, blah. What's working for you guys? Yeah. I mean, there's certainly a lot of noise out there and I think it's hard to rely on any one algorithm or platform to do it all. I think any opportunity that we have to kind of authentically share our voice or connect with people has been really helpful for us. And a lot of that has been through, you know, me kind of getting outside my comfort zone and trying to you know, put my face on social media or finding a great brand to do, you know, an aligned partnership with. I think those have been really impactful for us recently because then it's not only promoting our brand, but it's showing people how to use the product. It's showing, you know, other like products in the category and it's building the whole segment. So we've been focused on more of that and, you know, really just trying to tell the story, I think as well. That's that's something that I hear a lot as people love. People love hearing the story. So I've been trying to put myself out there more and take opportunities to share. Is that hard or... Like you love it, hate it. You're in the middle. I'm, you know, I'm in the middle. I think public speaking used to be like my biggest fear of all time. And uh, I've, you know, grown out of that to some degree, but it's, it's still challenging. I think every time I get given the speaking opportunity over the last couple of years, I always jump at it, but I always, you know, feel very nervous until it's over. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of one of those muscles you got to keep exercising. I think really important as a founder, because you've got to do it all the time, right? Whether it's to consumers or to investors or to your team. And yeah. I think it's you build connection. And I think the more like authentic connections that you have, the more your brand will resonate with people. Awesome. Anything else you want to share before we wrap up? I think this is fantastic. I'm excited. I need to find your cheese and try it. Yeah, are please. Do. Um, are you in Whole Foods in New Jersey? 
No, we're not, but we are in, uh, we're in Whole Foods in the Midwest and Pacific Northwest regions right now. Um, but in, in New Jersey, we are in like greens for all the, oh, yeah, I'm a greens. yeah, we're in mother's or mom's market. I believe you have yep. there. Yep. Um, awesome. Well, yeah. I can't wait to try it. Amazing. Awesome. No, this was great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the irresistible factor. I'm Christy Bridges, and I can't wait to see you next Wednesday.